Welcome to another round, the podcast that gives you an insight into brewing. My name is, as always, Yurnidar, and uh, here we are. The summer have arrived on the Northern Hemisphere, and we are looking forward to some cold brews in the sun here at Team Plato. This podcast is done with this first season, and we have had a pleasure to talk to people all over the world about fermentation, how to operate in an ever-changing business landscape, and have gotten to hear some fantastic stories. Now, as the host of uh, this podcast, I want to give a few of my highlights out of the many great conversation that has been had throughout this first season with some uh, topics and advices uh, that I uh, feel that we can all learn a little bit from. So uh, call this an encore episode if you wish, uh, maybe a, a best of uh, episode, so to speak. Um, but uh, you will get some of the best snippets from this first season of Another Round with Plato. First off, we have Matt Ahrens, the head brewer of Amundsen Brewery here in Norway. Now, this is a brewery that has seen a tremendous growth over the recent years uh, and have becoming known for their big, bold beers. Despite being one of the biggest breweries um, in Norway, they still operate with just eight people due to their smart choices that makes uh, them work really efficient. So uh, listen in as we talk about how to choose the right piece of equipment to change or how to upgrade your brewery. I think there are a lot of different scenarios, but the easiest one uh, to start with is when you see that certain pieces of your equipment are limiting on what you can do. Uh, we saw that quickly with the can filler. Isolating the fact that it was highly manual to, uh, in the old days, if we just looked at the can filler and what we were able to crank out day in and day out, in these COVID years, um, it was a huge strain on that. And, you know, in theory, we could have done more. There was more demand for the product, but we couldn't make it fast enough. And it got to the point where it was holding up tanks that we could have then brewed into. Yeah. And so when you start looking at that, you could say, well, the fix here is to be able to get it out faster. Um, and it was only when we started looking at, all right, well, if we're going to look, if we're going to entertain the idea of getting a new can filler, how, how is that going to fit into it? And it wasn't from day one, just, oh, we're going to get an automated line. That's going to have a robot at the end with a cast bag, a case backers and everything. You start putting it together and you start seeing, and you start, you know, mapping out, like if this pans out the way that, you know, its specifications say it should. Like how how would that impact our productivity on the packaging side as well as the brewing side, since the two are inextricably related? Um, and you start looking, and you're like, all right, that's that's going to be a huge difference. Yeah. Um, and you see all these bells and whistles along the way, right? Like the robot. Uh, but with a little bit of foresight, you can. You don't you hold off on some of it right away and um you know that if you build it properly you can drop it in without you know requiring another shutdown and reconfiguring everything mm -hmm. so for us it was looking at that limitation you know, like we're being held back right now by this line uh, a new piece of equipment uh will help us out and it was through a lot of research and a lot of discussions that uh we settled on uh, the Craftmate from Crohn's. Next up is uh, the episode called Green is Good for Beer, 
where Tim Bloomer, the director of Felbury in the UK, shares how sustainability and technology can improve a brewery's bottom line. One of the aspects we talked about was what they have experienced as the biggest impact for them in this regard, the ability to serve beer as close to the brewery as possible. Have a listen. Yeah, once sort of the pandemic finally settled down and I got a little bit of time just just focus on the bigger picture of the business and um, start to get to grips with some of the bigger things that I've long wanted to get to grips with. Um, I thought this was sort of the start of 2022. I was thinking, right, you know, let's figure out how we're going to become a more sustainable brewery, how we're going to achieve net zero, all the stuff that the team has always been extremely passionate about doing. But I mean, as much as it's not a particularly great thing to admit, but we've just sort of never really had properly the time to really get to grips with. Um, but when we decided to do that, we started to carbon footprint and all the rest of it. And um, it would transpire as, as simple as it sounds. But um, when it comes to working out our carbon footprint, the closer that people drink our beer to the source, the better. It makes a massive difference. It's hugely important. You know, the, um, the carbon really starts to... Um, move around uh, to, to really starts to increase with transportation costs is a huge aspect of it. And um, so kind of, uh, yeah, kind of all, almost by accident, you know, we, we had got ourselves into this position where we were selling so much of our beer in our sort of local area. Um, and then, so yeah, in many ways it's a happy accident that we then proceeded to realize that there's something really marketable here in the fact that this is absolutely undisputably the greenest way to go about drinking beer. And the fact that, you know, we can also support our local economy, because, of course, it goes beyond carbon sustainability massively, you know, um, support our local economy, you know, support our local communities in all the different ways that we have, really returning the favour as to how well we were looked after, particularly during the pandemic, is something that it's just felt like such a natural fit for us that we really have kind of fallen into it extremely straightforwardly and easily, and it has yeah, extremely quickly become something that we're all extremely passionate about, Fell. Um, kind of just because we all know it's the right thing to do. And the fact that we are doing it, um, you know, it, it has transpired that we're not doing anything terribly wrong. You know, um, at, at the heart of it, there is this new reason for us to go about doing what we're doing. And that has re-energized things really quite nicely for us. When it comes to fermenting with fruit, Spencer Moore know what is up. He is the production manager at Lock 27 Brewing in Dayton, Ohio, and he is also the ambassador of Aseptic Fruit Parades. Among the many things we talked about was how much easier life had become for him as a brewer when he started using Plato Pro in his fermentation. Here is from our episode from April. We love the Plato Pros. Um, uh it's, it's very odd. So I have it at both locations. We will add, when you add the fruit, like it's very obvious. It shows up on the, on the Play-Doh app. Like you can see the, the, uh, the gravity jump up and then start to go back down and, and level off and everything like that. So it makes it easier even to calculate how much sugar is even added. And sometimes that takes a little bit of time for, for all that fruit to kind of get mixed in. But yeah, like normally you would take a gravity reading and then you would add all your fruit, let it mix up, uh, and then take another gravity reading. And then you do the math on how much that added to your to your starting gravity. 
but if you have the Plato Pro, you can kind of just look at it. You know, you don't have to take the readings. You kind of just look at the the graph and you go, okay, well, I added half a Plato or I added a full Plato to to the to the gravity. So so that always helps. But yeah, the the Plato Pros they they have helped me in other ways too, in the sense of um, I used to come in every day, even on the weekends. Uh, just come in, take some gravities, make sure everything's going correctly. Um, because if you have to crash a beer at a certain time or you need to dry hop at a certain time, like you need to know the gravity every single day. With the Play-Doh Pros, I, I don't do that anymore. Um, we still take manual gravity readings every day that we're at work. But on the weekends, I don't necessarily come in. I can just look at my phone and say, oh, this is there and this is there and then it also tracks temperature and stuff like that so i can make sure everything's the correct temperature what is funny about that is because i can set alarm so if it gets too hot or too cold like my phone goes off and tells me hey you need to check this tank what is funny is the only times we've had problems with fermentation is uh we had the the play-dohs out of the tank and we sent them back to get new play-dohs and during that one week time frame you know, is is the one time that like somebody forgot to turn the glycol on the tank on. And so like we came in the next day and like the uh, the beer is like 20 degrees warmer than it should be. And you're like, how did this how did this happen? But it's because I didn't have the play to and, and I don't know if I've just become too reliant on it because in the past it's never like we've had them, you know, but over the past year uh, for sure it's. Uh, it, it's definitely saved me uh, more times than not just just having them in there and making sure I'm I'm good. Last but not least is an inside listen from our very first episode where we had Lars Marius Garshul on the podcast. He was the person who took the Norwegian farm yeast quake to the world as he was exploring the old brewing traditions of Europe. He shares with us how he discovered quake and how it felt to have his whole beer world turn upside down. So when I came back from uh, Lithuania, I, I decided that, um, you know, this Lithuanian stuff was interesting. It was farmhouse and we had farmhouse in Norway. And, and it was like, why haven't I ever looked at this? Like, this is stupid. Uh, and so I teamed up with, um, with a Canadian journalist who's, who was also interested in Lithuania and, um, we did a lot of preparation to do a tour of Norway because it's very hard to find this stuff. And that was when I started hearing these rumors about Quake, when we started digging into it, um, that people in Voss apparently had some kind of yeast that nobody knew where it came from, but they had sort of kept it in the villages. Uh, and I knew from reading that there was a tradition of the farmers having their own yeast. So it could be the same that had always been used in Norway. We, we didn't know. The, the the brewers in Vos were not making any claims about that. They just said it was theirs and it came from there. And then we went to to brew with a guy in Vos, Sigmund Jarnes, uh, and his brewing process was interesting. And the, the, you know all of that was interesting. But uh, it was when he he brought out this uh, two liter glass jar full of deep dark brown yeast and, and put it you know just put it on the table he didn't say anything but just looking at it you could tell that oh oh it's true he does have his own yeast it's he's he's not making this up at all um and then we discovered that he made orange aroma and that was like oh 
oh, well, that's new. Nobody's heard of that before. And then just before we were leaving, because, you know, the last thing he does is he pitches the East. And the Canadian journalist sees that well, you, you've wrapped up the fermenter in uh, an insulating mat. Like, why? Well, so it won't be too cold. And, the, and uh, Martin goes, well, but usually people are worried it will be too hot. Like, what's your pitch temperature? Oh, it's 39. And we're like, <laughs> what the? <laughs> and that was, um, that was, for me, that was very significant because, uh, you know, historically, them still having their own yeast is, of course, uh, super interesting and significant for how we look at, uh, you know, the evolution of yeast and the history of it and the use of it and all of those things. But um, these things suggested that the yeast was also different and therefore interesting just in itself. So it's like a, a, a double whammy in a sense. As we round up this uh, episode, I just want to thank each and every one of you for joining us on this very first season of Another Round with Plato. We have had some fantastic guests on and gotten a lot of good and constructive feedback from you, the listeners. So if you have any, do feel free to send it our way at uh, hello at plato.io. So keep up the good work, guys. I hope you have subscribed to the podcast already so you are ready for season two coming up after the summer. Until then, have fun, drink well, and take care. <laughs>